3: And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I'm joined by Leonor Cravotta. Hello, Leonor.
1: Good morning, Scott.
3: So uh, it's nice to have you.
1: Yeah, nice to be here
3: today. And we're going to have um, Michael O'Neill at the bottom of the hour.
1: Landmark Legal Foundation from um, talk about voter integrity.
3: Voter integrity is a is a lawyer, and yes. they're doing a lot of good work over there at Legal Landmark Legal. Uh, to uh, make sure that we have our voter rights back, that voter integrity is, you know, election integrity is a big issue for us today.
1: And this is part of the Bugle Call series on election integrity. That's
3: right. And we're going to be talking, um, you know, about what's happening in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Arizona. Uh, and we've got the expert coming in. Exactly. So that's going to be at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but, you know, a lot's been happening um, that's been making news. Uh, one of the things is uh, that Avenatti got 30 months.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you got Stormy Daniels speaking out saying, well, you know, I was his victim also. I mean, and, this is all, and the 30 months is for the extortion from, from Nike.
3: Right, you know, and and they were talking about uh, this somehow. Th- there was this little league baseball team that he wanted to coach, and next thing you know, he they defunded the the team, and somehow he was going to then extort them uh, if they pulled the funding. Uh, but I I think it has a lot more to do with the Jussie Smollett yeah uh, situation, Juicy Smollett, and that was because I think that there was a Kamala Harris component with Kim Fox and Jesse Smollett and then he had Garagos, the attorney combined with working with uh, working with Avenatti and what they were doing is they were um, getting involved with that and I think that one of the ways that uh, to try to clean it up, be fixers so so to speak to try to be a fixer and I think that one of the ways you get paid off is you get these corporate client deals. Yeah. You know, because it's not the Obamas hiring Tina Chen to clean it up. Tina Chen was the chief of staff for Michael Obama, right? But it was also that uh, Tina Chen was childhood friends with... She's an attorney. She's head of Time's Up. Time's Up was... In the opening um of the presidential bid for Kamala Harris and Tina Chen times up, and Jesse Smollett were all part of the Kamala Harris launch, but then you have this other component where Jesse Smollett is advancing a Kamala Harris Cory Booker anti lynching bill, which is like the dumbest thing. It's like you can't even sneeze on somebody. Uh, today, without getting arrested, yet somehow you got you have to have a bill to prevent lynching um, of course that 's just a political political ploy to try to suggest that trump supporters were racist of course it 's the opposite it 's the Democrats that are racist with all their black lives matter crap and marxist b s but If we think back to the Jussie Smollett thing, there was a lot more going on there than meets the eye. It had to do with Kamala Harris and Cory Booker's piece of legislation. It's the only thing you can describe. When it went south, Kamala Harris was going to be in deep water. She was connected with Kim Fox. Kim Fox was the attorney that was turning a blind eye to the investigation. Tina Chen walks in because... There's so much political pressure to make an example out of Jesse Smollett that uh, Tina Chen, the chief of staff of Michael Obama, or Michelle, however you want to call him, um, and his husband, Barack. Rahm Emanuel was the, gov- uh, the mayor of Chicago at the time, and he was the chief of staff of Barack, Barry Satorio. So. It was a big mess. It was a hot mess. And I believe that Kamala Harris was handpicked by Obama. But when we get to Avenatti, Avenatti and Garagos, these two attorneys, got involved with that case. Right. And I think that the way they were paying them back was through a Nike contract.
1: And this and the is reason- the $25 million shakedown.
3: Right. Well, no, I think that they were. he was going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think he was going to get an auditing uh, gig. Yeah. And I think that somehow he realized this is bigger than, and this is deeper than, so I'm going to try to get more. Yeah. And he didn't realize that Nike was going to basically bulk and call his bluff. And the reason why I think this is because this was pretty much the same playbook as what happened with um, uh, the guy that took a knee. Um uh, Kaepernick yeah. right? Colin Kaepernick took a knee he was the grand poobah of American hating knee uh, taking a knee he was also good friends with the Obamas and so when you think about it he's the start of it all the soccer the women's soccer team is just a bunch of dummies that you know followed suit and everybody was kind of dr- piling on to the whole thing about Michael Brown hands up don't shoot Ferguson, Black Lives Matter is a fundraising arm, Marxist group for the Act Blue and for the Democrat Party. And so Avenatti, uh, who was basically out there trying to bash Trump every chance he could, uh, was sort of the tip of the spear at the time. Thought he was walking on water, was drunk on power, as he said yesterday. And, um, Basically, uh, bit off more than he could chew. Nike called his bluff. And so we're not going to pay you. And that's where we are with that. I, I, I believe, though, that the Obamas were involved with getting Nike. And, but why, why does Nike owe Obama anything? Because Nike was in bed with Obama to push TPP, to basically gain access to Chinese slave labor markets. And that's why China pulled out when Trump decided to pull away from TPP. Because there was going to be no quid pro quo with regard to business opportunities and slave labor access. The TPP was all about that. It's not in the brochure, but rest assured, that's what it was about. And Nike and Obama held a big event in Seattle to promote and push TPP and Nike was a big fundraiser for that effort because they were going to get a return on investment because they bowed to China. And so Avenatti thought that he was in on this in a big way. And he was trying to put the fire out with the Jesse Smollett thing because apparently Jesse Smollett can't act. And that whole thing was a big, hot mess. And you think to yourself, they can't figure out how to get Jesse Smollett to hang himself. Um, how in the world did they pull out this pull off this COVID pandemic? Yeah, with the two hundred one event and all these other things we're going to be talking about at some point in the show. Um, well, let's see. We have a we have a caller. Let's see. We're going to take this caller. Caller, you're on the air
4: uh yeah real quick uh i'm hearing two shows on your radio station right now but the one thing i do want to call in about is this uh secretary health secretary becerra uh in the epoch times says it's absolutely the government's business to know who's vaccine well i got a few words for him too and i won't mention them on the air but this guy was a uh, aftermarket from california he was horrendous here And he's horrendous what he's doing right now. And this guy is another Gestapo-Nazi communist who wants to force the government down people's throat. He's an absolute disaster in California. And he's going to be an absolute disaster for uh, the health secretary. He's a criminal. He's a crook. And the guy's just, I I can't say enough
3: bad things about him. All right. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Javier Pizarra today. Um Good. basically bad dude you're right. Um thank you for calling in on that. Thank you. All right. Uh so to that point um uh and uh we're trying to get the we can't seem to mute the sound with respect to uh the system that we have in place. It's unfortunate, but um we're trying to figure that out. Um so it interrupts the show in in a, in a weird way. Um, but we're, we're fixing it.
1: And we appreciate people pointing it out to us.
3: Yeah. Um, so it says, here, let's take a listen to this. HHS Javier Pizarro on Biden's controversial door-to-door. But before we get to that, we're going to get to that clip. I want to play a couple of um, clips regarding or related to uh, – Avenatti. Since we are going to be wrapping up with the Avenatti situation, here's just a couple. Uh, let's see. Here's here's one right here. Up. Oh. All right. So we're going to get our audio just straightened out here. <laughs> it just takes takes two seconds. Um, and uh, there's a lot of great clips on the, on this to show how dumb, how dumb. The uh, mainstream media truly is. Let's Yes. Take it He's him.
0: Donald Trump's worst nightmare, Michael Avenatti. <laughs> Joining us once again is Michael Avenatti. Let's
1: bring in Michael Avenatti. Michael
0: Avenatti. Michael Avenatti.
1: Michael Avenatti, thank you very much. He's <laughs> out there saving the Look, country. Y-
4: y- Don Meacham says he may be the savior of the
0: republic. You are something of a folk hero now.
1: I owe Michael Avenatti an apology. I've been saying enough already, Michael. I've seen you everywhere. What do you have left to say? I was wrong, brother. You have a lot to say. I uh, am just... Dying to hear what you think.
5: These people all like you.
2: i the only person right here Donald Trump fears more than Robert Miller.
0: We think you guys are the tip of the spear that's going to take down Donald Trump. Michael
5: Avenatti's a beast. Okay, that's true. He's a beast. He's a beast. I hand it to her, and I hand it to Michael
2: Avenatti. But he has a bigger calling here, that being a lawyer is minimal compared to what he's doing.
0: No one has talked tougher directly to Donald Trump on TV than Michael Avenatti, and Donald Trump is afraid to mention his name. That's fascinating. Donald Trump is terrified of Michael Avenatti.
1: He now, this Trump a run for his money more than anybody else Michael Avenatti.
0: Existential threat to the Trump presidency.
5: The Democrats could learn something for you. You are messing with Trump a lot more than they are.
0: He has no doubt created sheer panic in Donald Trump's very fragile mind.
1: Michael Avenatti is laying down the law as guest co-host. And is he really thinking about running for president?
0: Uh, one reason why I'm taking you seriously as a contender is because of your presence on cable news. Brian you look Stelter. at the field of Democrats right More now, and Avenatti's the one who stands out. If
1: they decide they value a fighter most, yes. people would be foolish to underestimate Michael yeah. Avenatti. I have always said that they need a fighter.
4: Look, I mean we're gonna to continue to use the media. I think we've used it with great success.
3: So so here's another Avenatti clip. Drunk on power, right? This is his interview with Tucker. Why don't you show What's some respect? What's disgusting is why don't you, you show are some respect to my client
4: not. and me and stop calling us a porn star and a creepy <laughs> porn lawyer If you've got that big of well, a Those were days, porn. right? Yeah, creepy porn I'm lawyer making fun of When's oh, the last, last time when's the last, when's the last time you saw porn? Oh, you busted me Actually, I made a humiliation porn no, That's but, why I watch you on no, CNN
2: How's
3: it going? Let's take a listen to this one The Boys, The View To
2: me, you're like the Holy Spirit you are all places at all times right I mean you I, I do I see you these are the people ruling the
3: media right yes. these so you morons a,
2: a seat available if you want to be a co-host at the view. you might there's you know, people here you can pitch
3: you know they, they get away with this stuff they get away with being wrong all the time you know it's absolutely absurd um that we have this and the so you know it's oh here's here's uh Here's, yet, yet, well, no, 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 okay, that's not the same clip. Okay, so that was the Avenatti clip. Yeah,
1: and, you know, it's interesting. um Did you hear the comment he made about, you know, he made some comments expressing remorse? And he made actually, and you and I talked about this off air, what was a pretty... Um, truthful comment. He said, you know, everybody wants to ride, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something to the effect of everybody wants to ride with you in the limo. Few want to ride with you in a bus, uh, and even fewer will accept your call from prison. And I think that says a lot about our society that we, I mean, I'm certainly not defending Michael Avenatti here, let's not misconstrue my words, but there's something about our society in which we build people up and then we tear them back down again. And then, of course, there is my favorite uh, Donald Trump Jr. quote where he said instead of uh, Avenatti 2020, we're going to be talking Ad- Avenatti 20 to 25. Now, it's only 30 months, but yeah. the trial starts yeah, in tw- Jul-
3: 20 to 25 months. Maybe they're talking. about. Yeah,
1: but it's uh, but the trial but the trial start, you know, the trial starts in July. So we shall say.
3: <laughs> right. So Javier Becerra, that's another one. Okay, so they're talking about the vaccine passports. And, uh, man, we have a lot of stuff to cover today. And we got the interview. Um, all right, so this is the Javier Becerra, HHS. Javier Prezera on Biden's controversial door-to-door vaccination program. The federal government has spent trillions of dollars to keep Americans alive during the pandemic, so it's absolutely the government's business to know if you're, you've been vaccinated. That does not seem to be written in the Constitution anywhere. I, I never, never saw that.
5: ...will be free to choose. Why is that concept so hard for the left? Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs tweeting, it's none of the government's business knowing who has or hasn't been vaccinated. Joining me now is Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra, who is helping in this effort to get Americans vaccinated. Uh, Sir, thank you so much for being with us. I I wonder if you can answer that criticism. It's none of the government's business knowing who has or hasn't been vaccinated. What do you say?
0: Brianna, uh, perhaps uh, we should point out that the federal government has had to spend trillions of dollars to try to keep Americans alive during this pandemic. So it is absolutely the govern- government's business. It is taxpayers' business if we have to continue to spend money to try to keep people from contracting COVID and, and helping reopen the economy and so it is our business to try to make sure americans can prosper americans can freely associate and knocking on a door has never been against the law you don't have to answer but we hope you do because if you haven't been vaccinated we can help dis- help dispel some of those rumors that you've heard and hopefully get you vaccinated
5: there are experts listen we hear please from president biden telling people to get vaccinated. But what we're seeing is a decline in vaccinations. And there are folks who say more needs to be done, like Dr. Lena Wen, who in an op-ed for The Washington Post said, quote, that's not nearly enough. Biden needs to get behind proof of vaccination, starting with his own White House events. A gathering touting the United States' progress toward independence from the virus should have been the ideal opportunity to make the case for vaccine requirements. It matters for everyone, including the vaccinated. What's your response to that? Having people say, yes, I am vaccinated and and proving it, or at least having them attest to it.
0: Well, there are any number of ways to try to continue to make progress. And the president has demonstrated that he is open to moving in any direction we can to help Americans get safe, be safe, feel safe. And so we'll continue to provide uh, Americans access. We're going to go where you are so that you can get vaccinated and we'll do everything we can. And what we've done is allowed the states through our governors, our mayors, and county supervisors to determine how best to approach people in their neighborhood.
3: You know, they need to take a chapter from Ed McMahon. He he knew enough to stay out of Johnny Carson's way. Yes. Uh, I don't need the government coming to where I am. Right. I don't need the government in my life. Uh, so, you know, just be there when I need you. Like, uh, But so far, you know, You're able to eavesdrop on Tucker Carlson, but you're not able to Find out the next attack on our country.
1: Well, that's a you know a very interesting situation that we find ourselves in—a paradox. But the, again, with the whole thing about it's the government's business, and him using uh, Basara using the argument that the government has paid for the vaccine as an excuse is ludicrous because they paid for the vaccine so that it would be accessible to people who couldn't afford it. So that's one. But on the other hand, just because you paid for something doesn't mean that people have to do it, or and it also does not mean that you need to be aware of who has been vaccinated. It is a personal choice. We are adults; well, people can make the s- decision. But when you start saying you got to have vaccine passports, blah, blah 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 blah, what it's carrying is a bit of a police state.
3: Did you hear though what he was saying? Too is it is our business? All of a sudden, because I, I, you ever get one of those checks in the mail, and if you sign, if you sign and cash the check. You've subscribed to something. Right. Well, that's
1: what it is. Yes. It's
3: like, okay, so you you baited me in to take this free thing.
5: But it's not. All of a sudden,
3: Pfizer's now asking you to take a booster shot, which is going to make them another billion dollars. And and all of a sudden, it's like, okay, you told me this was free, but you didn't tell me about the strings attached. Oh, now now we're learning from Javier Persera. Oh, the strings are attached. What strings? Oh, then we're going to get to control your life. That's the string, you know. It's like we spent trillions on you to keep you alive. You should be grateful. You should be thankful. But as
1: you and I have said before, um, there's many evidence that there were other ways to treat this earlier, and that we didn't have to go the most expensive route, and that there were there was generic um, components already in process. So there's there's a lot to this story. Let's
3: take a listen to Glenn Greenwald talking about our government.
4: Chuck Schumer went on the Rachel Maddow show and Rachel Maddow was very upset that Trump was insulting the CIA because she loves the CIA. And Chuck Schumer said the thing you're not supposed to say aloud, which is Trump is being stupid because everyone knows that if you challenge the intelligence community, they have six different ways to Sunday to get back at you. And that's exactly what they proceeded to do over the next four years, was undermine his administration. People in Washington are petrified. Of the security state, and that's why they exist with no democratic accountability.
3: The most now, listen to this. Listen to this. This is the uh, this is the actual quote. And let's take a listen to this uh, particular clip. The from latest Chuck Schumer. statement. Latest This is an oldie, but you were just
5: saying. President-elect's latest latest unsolicited pronouncement on the intelligence community. This was his tweet just a little while ago tonight. You see the scare quotes there. The intelligence briefing on so-called Russian hacking was delayed until Friday. Perhaps more time needed to build a case. Very strange. We're actually told, intelligence sources tell NBC News since this tweet has been posted, that actually this intelligence briefing for the president-elect was always planned for Friday. It hasn't been delayed. But he's, he's taking these shot. this! Antagonism yep. is taunting to the intelligence Let me tell community.
0: You, you take on the intelligence community; they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So, even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this.
5: What do you think the intelligence community would do if they were?
0: Motivated I don't know, to? but I from what I'm told.
3: Well, you know what scares the crap out of me now? What? Avril Haines. Mm-hmm. This woman. Yeah. She was at the 201 event for the mm-hmm. pandemic. She's in bed with China, and. Uh she is the, now the director of DNI. Yeah. She's the ODN, ODNI yeah. uh, head chief. So the person in charge of all of our intelligence is a person that may have known a lot more about the rollout of this pandemic.
5: That and then now the on. same
3: people that are doing that are, are pushing... Um, They're pushing uh, the vaccine and the vaccine passport. We're hearing all kinds of things about the vaccine. Bill Gates says it's a mechanism to reduce population. You know, and he said that in 2014. He could not have known about what was going to happen You know, during the Trump era. Well,
1: he was always for eugenics. And that's something that isn't talked about a lot. And he was, you know, and you and I have talked about a great deal about how through information technology, his um, education, race to the top funds, and now vaccines, he's gotten involved in trying to, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, control the world, literally and figuratively. Well, and
3: then also, in addition to that, um, there's a Becker News article uh, that talks about. 23 high-ranking officials in Biden administration all came from the same shadowy uh, firm. Many of the highest-ranking members of the Biden administration came from uh, this uh, organization called WestExec. Founded in 2017, WestExec described itself as a diverse group of senior national security professionals with the most recent experience at the highest levels of the U.S. government with deep knowledge and networks uh, in the fields of defense, foreign policy, intelligence, cybersecurity. You know, it's almost like the social media people are running Mm, our country. Yeah. Well, so are organizations like WestExec. Advisors get its name from West Executive Avenue, which the official site says is the closed Street that runs between the west wing of the white house and the eisenhower executive office building It is quite literally the road to the situation room and it is the Road everyone associated with west exec visors Has crossed many times in route to meetings of the highest nature now remember the uh the um we uh, we're, we're, we're going to take our guest here in a second um but one of the uh, issues he, there, too, was that we feel like there's a lot of lawyers from the Lawfare blog, mm-hmm. uh, Brookings Institution. We remember Fiona Hill was was uh, very much in touch with the Brookings Institute to uh, get the early copies of the Christopher Steele dossier and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, we have the uh, Atlantic Council yeah. that's also was in bed with the ambassadors. These are very liberal organizations that have people uh, that work there strongly within the NSC and uh, other entities of our national security. Just look at our mainstream media with all the different CIA spies yes. that are now pundits or anchors on those networks. Talk about compromise. Absolutely. It's Mockingbird, the Mockingbird Press uh, on steroids. But... Uh, Right now, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and take, take, uh, take uh, Michael O'Neill. Michael O'Neill, are you on the uh, line? And uh, let's see, we got you covered. We have a new phone system. Michael O'Neill, <laughs> welcome to the Scott Adams Show.
4: It's a pleasure to be on. How are
3: you? Okay, uh, do, doing great. And thank you for your patience there. We we have this new phone system since the last time you were on our show, uh, but we want to introduce you as being an assistant general counsel uh, at the Landmark Legal Foundation, and welcome back to the Scott Adams Show.
4: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: And you've and, and we have we're having you back on again, and this is part of our series on election integrity because you have filed briefs and written extensively, op-eds, et cetera, including one le- just last week in The Hill about election integrity. And so, again, we, you know, we have the situation in Arizona and we also have mm-hmm. what's going on in, in Pennsylvania and uh, et cetera. So w- could you elaborate a little bit about um, what, what you see happening with, with this situation and going forward? Sure. Sure,
4: it's a, it's a multifaceted situation. It's occurring here at the state level, at the federal court level, at the Supreme Court level, and also at the, uh, in Congress. So we have a lot of moving parts here, but I'll, I'll start out with the beginning and talk about what happened a couple weeks ago with the Supreme Court and then dive into the implications of that and the, the larger picture here. So a couple weeks ago, the last day of the Supreme Court term, um the, the court issued an opinion in a very important voting integrity case, and the case is known as Bernovich versus DNC. And this is a case that was that arose out of the state of Arizona, and the DNC and other challengers challenged Arizona's po- uh, two policies that are designed to ensure voter integrity. The policies they they challenged were number one an out of precinct policy, which required in person voters to vote in their designated precinct, and the overwhelming majority of voters actually did that, and wasn't really a large scale problem. Ninety nine point five percent of voters voted in their correct precinct. In the second, the second uh, uh, policy that was challenged was the prohibition on ballot harvesting. And now that is a that is a that is the uh, practice whereby unsavory groups descend upon vulnerable populations, such as nursing homes or apartments, long-term care facilities, and they collect ballots. They collect. They'll, they'll exercise undue influence upon voters. Again, these vulnerable voters, and they will collect their ballots and they will dump those ballots at the end of the uh, at the end of the election to adversely affect the election sometimes they will there's it's basically an unregulated kind of wild wild west show with the ballot harvesters so you it's it's something states are are really smart to prohibit to keep those sorts of folks away from vulnerable populations. well these two policies were challenged went all the way up to the Supreme Court Supreme Court said these these do not violate the Voting Rights Act states are well within their rights to pass these reasonable measures to ensure the integrity of the vote What's important with this is that, first of all, it allows Arizona to ensure that its voters are free from intimidation and are secure the vote. vote. But also what's more important from a national perspective is this involves Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which is a section that all of these lawsuits that you've seen have have arisen throughout the country in states like Georgia, um, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida. uh, Special interest groups are challenging other laws similar to the prohibition on ballot harvesting and the out of precinct policy. Similar laws that states enact to ensure the integrity of their vote, such as requiring identification before you uh, request an absentee ballot, um, ensuring that you request an absentee ballot 11 days prior to the, the, the date that that uh, ballot's due. Um, other, other measures uh, that you require, that, that, again, common sense measures that pretty much everybody can agree upon. But these sorts of measures have been challenged, again, by a well-funded uh, cabal of special interest groups and are, you know, and are being challenged. Sometimes courts rule for them. Sometimes rule, courts rule against them. But what the Supreme Court's decision in Burnovich means is that states are well within their rights to enact these sorts of reasonable measures that are going to ensure the, the, the protection of the ballots.
3: Well, wow. Yeah. No. I was very pleased with the Supreme Court rulings, especially with ballot harvesting. Also, it seems like a no-brainer that they also ruled on um, they also ruled on the idea that if you vote in the wrong precinct, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would make that would make perfect sense. Um, it seems like we've come a long way though from the debate over voter ID, uh, where the the bar is lower now. And, uh, you know, uh, the question I have for you is, in Arizona, for example, suppose they were to come mm-hmm. up with 300,000 uh, ballots, uh, signature ballots, you know, the signature envelope. And suppose mm-hmm. they were to come up with 300,000 that were missing the signature. Let's just, is mm-hmm. a hypothetical number. And mm-hmm. so they, they're supposed to have 2.1 million. Somehow they have... They, they could only account for 1800 three hundred thousand get thrown out but they can't they cannot associate uh, the signature ballot signature envelope with a vote because the vote is anonymous uh, the two pieces of uh, uh, items the envelope and the ballot were separated uh, and mm-hmm. there's no way to determine whether or not those three hundred thousand, that were missing signatures, were Biden votes or Trump votes in the 2020 election? So it's,
4: it's a very, it's a serious issue. First of all, you have to, you, you want to rule, you, 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 the, the decision is, is made at the local level here, and it's, it's, it's made uh, by boards of elections and election officials. And you have to, first, the first thing you start out with is the law. What does the law say? And that should be controlling. So, if a ballot, if there is a required verification, a, if if the laws on the books and requires signature verification, in other words, you have to have a a physical uh, comparison from one signature to another signature to verify that the mail ballot is cast by that actual voter, and that ha- that process hasn't been followed, then uh, then it would stand to me, and am again and speaking from a hypo- hypothetical standpoint, that that vote would have to be cast out again if if it doesn't comply with the duly designated process of the, uh, uh, that the law sets forth. Now, again, here, we, you touched on an important issue voting by mail voting via absentee ballot is an inherently riskier process. Ideally, every person should vote in person. We should have in person voting on election day and everybody should fill out paper ballots. The, this ensures that the, that the process is run smoothly, that people have confidence in the process and confidence in the integrity of the voting system and confidence in the outcome of the election. What happened last year is you had COVID-19 hit and all of these states enacted really kind of scattershot measures to expand vote by mail. And not enough of them ensured measures to, uh, enacted measures to ensure the integrity of the vote by mail process. And they're kind of playing catch up here. And this is why you're seeing a lot of these laws, like laws that are, that are being passed in Georgia, uh, et cetera. If you're going to have widespread vote by mail, if you're going to have large numbers of absentee ballots, like you ta- like you talked about in your hypothetical, hundreds of thousands of, of absentee ballots, you have to have a process in place to ensure that those ballots are adequately counted, adequately processed, and adequately assessed for their integrity. Again, this is why the overwhelming majority of the people, and traditionally, as most of your listeners know, vote in person. This is why voting in person is really the gold standard to ensure that the integrity of the vote. Voting by mail... Allows all kinds of shenanigans to occur, all kinds of uh, opportunities for error, good faith error by on the part of voters. You can forget to sign your your val- your you know your envelope as as you just pointed out in your hypothetical. Your vote can be cast out can be cast aside very easily. So, what is the best way to vote to ensure that your vote is counted and that your that the outcome of the election is accurate, fair, and fair, and that we all have confidence in it? Well, what is the, What is the best thing to do is to vote in person on Election Day.
3: Right. Now, my question, though, is when they're going through the envelope counting, uh, they could run these through a scanner and say, OK, we're going to discard all of these signature envelopes that don't have a signature. We're going to push mm-hmm. those aside. We got we we got 300,000 of them out of the 1.9 million that came in or whatever it was. And we have 300,000 of them but we don't know how those signature envelopes voted because the vote the vote itself was put into a different bin separated from the envelope so there's no way to match the envelope with the vote is that is that true or is that not is that false i, I
4: again you Getting into the process, assuming on your—we're going down a hypothetical route here. If if ballots are separate, again, this is this is why I, I stress why it's imperative that you have properly trained election officials right. before you implement voted vote by mail process. If you're processing thousands and thousands of envelopes, you're going to have errors. And again, unless individuals are trained properly to adhere to a designated system, and those individuals are properly monitored by either you know, citizen election observers. You know, higher-ups within the, within, the, uh, within the voting system, then you're going to have issues and you're going to have errors in processing. Now, if it's a processing error, that's one thing. And if it's a widespread error, then you're talking hundreds of thousands of votes. That's a bigger issue that would have to be brought to the attention of a court. Um, you'd, have to do, you'd have to go down the entire road of discovery, gathering evidence, that, determining exactly what happened. That's a long road to go through. And again, what happens with this process if this occurs? People lose confidence in the outcome of the election. they lose faith in the integrity of the system, which is a terrible, terrible thing. This is why I go back to the same the same answer that I said before. This is why states have to enact common sense measures to ensure the integrity of their votes, particularly right. when they open up voting to widespread voting by mail. This is why ideally you should have vote by mail should be or absentee voting should be done in a very narrowly defined process, and the overwhelming majority of voters should Vote in person on election day with paper ballots.
3: I I think when they can't uh, associate the signature ballot with a with a, with an actual vote, and they can't determine whether that was a Biden, they're going to throw it out because it doesn't have the signature and it doesn't match the law. So they would throw it out, uh, but they don't know what kind of vote they're throwing out. They don't know if that's a Biden or a. So they just say, okay, three hundred thousand votes. Uh, were deemed as fraudulent because they were received without a signature put into the books. We don't know how they voted because the two documents were separated and we can't connect them. Um, and so therefore, we can't certify. We're going to decertify the results of our election. And then that becomes a decertified election. I think that's the best you could hope for. If that were to happen in you know, a mul- multiple array of states... Uh, you would be back where we started back in January, which is with state delegations and things like that. Um, I doubt that we're ever going to get to that point. Um, but there there is a lot of things that are going on, like with Pennsylvania. Uh, are they now doing the same kind of forensic audit that they're that that they've been doing in Arizona? Um, I'm not
4: particularly I'm, I'm, unfortunately I'm not up on the specific details of what is occurring in Pennsylvania regarding their their audit. Um, so I, I really couldn't tell you. I can tell you going forward, what is imperative is that these state is that states mm-hmm. enact these common sense laws and that they have the necessary systems in place to ensure that the accuracy of the count. And I can say that going forward, the Supreme Court has said that states can do this. What I will note is that courts—I can't tell you from a, a from a larger perspective—is that courts are loath to get involved in affecting the outcome of an election that has already occurred. And you saw this throughout; you, you've seen this now in a lot of these challenges that have occurred regarding uh, the election from November. Is you see, courts have said we're going to throw up our hands and we're not going to get involved in a political process, and they they will look, you know, by hook or by crook, right or wrong, from a legal standpoint. They're going to look for any kind of exit ramp they can to get out of that, get out of the perception of, of having to make a difficult, you know, making a decision. So, in other words, if if the initial pleadings, if the initial filings, the, the initial challenges, um, the, the, the judges will oftentimes, and again, I don't want to get too lawyerly here, but I will, they will rule that, that plaintiffs don't have standing, that it's, the election's already occurred, that there's not an injury in fact, that they will look for any excuse they can to kind of get off this train and so they don't have to make these difficult decisions regarding the, the veracity of audits or recounts or anything that you're talking about.
3: I have one final question for you, and uh, this one is with regard to ballot harvesting. Uh, mm-hmm. The ballot harvesting situation is, how does that that's a SCOTUS decision. That's a Supreme Court of the United States uh-huh. decision. How does that Arizona decision impact ballot harvesting that's been running rampant in California? Right.
4: Oh, that's a great question. Well, ultimately here, what are we seeing? is that it's incumbent uh, it's incumbent upon the states to take action to to ensure the integrity of their voting their electoral process. And what we've seen in California is the removal of what happens in California. What happens in California is California has removed all reasonable protections. And so what you've seen is open voting and chaotic voting and lots of loss of confidence from the electorate in the outcome of the election. So you see several years ago, you see those House, those house races in Orange County, House representatives races in Orange County flip, you know, statistical anomalies where they flip at the last minute, where thousands of votes swing one way or the other. And what you see, California is kind of the test case. It shows what can happen when reasonable protections, when common-sense protections are removed, and ballot harvesting can occur. And wide segments of, you know, lots of great people in California have done lots of great work trying to ensure the integrity of the vote, and they're, they're, they're looking at the voting process, they're observing the election, they're putting pressure on the state election officials to enact common-sense measures, to take action. But what happens is it just shows the importance of prohibit prohibitions on things like ballot harvesting, practices like ballot harvesting, because if it occurs, if you don't have a state prohibition on it, and now the Supreme Court says that states are free to do that, then you're going to see these wide these wide swings. You're going to see third party interest groups, unsavory groups, descend upon vulnerable populations. As I said before, like nursing homes or or long term care facilities, collect votes exercise undue influence on individuals. Look, when you vote in person, what do you do? You come in, you pull that curtain back behind you, and you vote in secret. The secrecy of the ballot is primary, and that's why is that. That's to ensure that we are not subject to undue influence. Somebody standing behind you telling you how to vote or saying you want to vote this way, you want to vote this way. Well, with ballot harvesters, that's all thrown out the window. They come to your door. They'll knock on your door. They'll talk to you. They'll, they'll say, vote right, this but- way. You need to vote for Joe Biden. So it's imperative that states like California prohibit ballot harvesting, and it's imperative that the people of California are aware of this practice and exercise pressure on their people to enact those prohibitions.
3: Okay, now, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought that the SCOTUS decision uh, on ballot harvesting, where they said said no to ballot harvesting, I thought that that would apply, since it's a federal Supreme Court ruling, that Mm -hmm. this would prevent states like California from uh, engaging in that activity.
4: Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a ruling saying that all ballot harvesting is 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 impermissible. It was the state. The Supreme Court ruled that states have the authority to enact laws to prohibit ballot harvesting. So, if a state wants to enact a law that prohibits ballot harvesting, then that's not going to violate the Voting Rights Act. Not violate federal law. So, what you have to have here is you have the intervening action. You have to have a state action. So it's ultimately incumbent upon the states to ensure the integrity of their voting process. Well We got
3: to weigh and in. On, this is we got to so weigh I, in on the chain of custody issue because that's really the, sure. the crux of it. Uh, as soon as you get ballot harvesters taking your ballot, it breaks the chain of custody, and that Absolutely. that goes straight to the heart of integrity.
4: Absolutely, and that's again that's the inherent vulnerability of voting And again, what's interesting about this is that this was a bipartisan issue up until a few years ago. Um, Democrats agreed. Um, there was a, a, a commission headed by former President Jimmy Carter that concluded that vote by mail, absentee balloting, absentee ballot voting is inherently vulnerable and needs additional protection. And again, I come back to my I come back to the same point I've been making over and over again. The best way to ensure that your right. vote is counted accurately is to vote in person. When you vote in, when you vote by mail, chain of custody comes into play. A lot of opportunities to fail come into play. This is why if you do, do if, you, if states enact widespread vote-by-mail measures, they have to enact protections to ensure right. the integrity of that system.
3: All right. Well, thank you. Uh, and I uh, just want to let our audience know we're speaking with Michael O'Neill. He comes to us uh, from Landmark Legal. He's the assistant general counsel over there. Thank you, Michael, for uh, spending some time with the Scott Adams Show and really straightening out a few questions I think a lot of us had.
4: Thank you, Scott. You have a great day. All Thank right. you, Michael. Take care now. All right. Thank you.
3: So um, that's going to be posted up on buglecall.org. As part uh, of
1: our efforts to continue to inform our listeners about what's going on with voter integrity. we're going integrity. to have a
3: series of um, <clears throat> interviews uh, that are going to include uh, candidates that are endorsed by the Trump Save America group and and uh, an effort. Uh, also, any candidate that's running against Lisa Murkowski, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, and all the rhinos that we want to primary out of office. Uh, We want to get these candidates on before their primaries. We got one in Ohio, I think it's August 3rd. So we're going to have to get a move on. Uh, We have a vehicle vehicle to do it in terms of getting people heard that you may never have heard of. And uh, we're going to try to do that. Uh, well, we are going to do it, but we're going to make our best effort in getting as many of these candidates on the Scott Adams show as we can. So uh, that's going gonna to be one of our um, partnership efforts for buglecall.org. And again, the sister organization is org. So <clears throat> um, they're basically one and the same entity. <clears throat> Excuse me. But... Um, in any case, that's part of our effort to take back our country and to promote America First policies that make America great again. And
1: it, we will have more Friday interviews. So you'll uh, go into your weekend with some education.
3: So remember we were talking about Avril Haines yes. and uh, ODNI? She put out a, uh, the new ODNI cover photo Is from a stock photo. So they have this group photo posted up on my social media.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a great photo. I'm
3: I'm joking when I say that. They took a Shutterstock photo, and then they added a blind person and a person in a wheelchair into the photo and put that on their cover. They doctored the photo. Uh, It's just, you know, it's one of these things where you have to question the integrity. The other uh, thing I wanted to bring up is... White House helped Hunter Biden reach a deal to keep buyers of his paintings confidential. So the Daily uh, the Daily Mail uh, wrote this: "Just in, White House helped broker deal to shield the president's son, Hunter Biden, from information about who is buying his paintings, listed for up to five hundred thousand dollars, so they could avoid ethics issues." Now, how do you like that?
1: How do you now, like that so he can avoid ethics issues? Isn't that nice of the White House to protect David the president's Bowie, son? Da-
3: David Bowie is dead. Yeah. And David Bowie was an artist. Right. David Bowie, the great musical, yes, yes. Uh, music, m- yes, musical uh, genius. Ziggy Stardust, yes. Yeah, I love Life on Mars. Yeah. You know, whatever. Suffragette um, City. Yeah, <laughs> okay. um, but you know, he, he had some paintings that went up yeah. on auction. I think he got 70000 Yeah. for one of his paintings. That's that's that's, uh, you know, that's chump
1: change, I guess, and compared to Hunter Biden. And here
3: you got this this freakazoid uh, (laughs) in in Hunter Biden getting five hundred thousand dollars for his paintings. That's such a kickback. Right. Yeah. then the question was uh, brought up to me, says, imagine the outrage if Trump had spied on Rachel Rachel Maddow. Because well, they're, t- they're spying on Tucker Carlson, right?
1: Yeah. We would never hear the end of it if Trump had spied on Rachel Maddow. That would be a travesty beyond travesties. Right. Whereas nobody cares from the left that people are spying on Tucker Carlson, just as nobody cared about James Rosen years ago.
3: And this guy named James, James Lindsay writes a scoop and he says, A whistleblower has provided me with a, the complete list of books for Albuquerque Public Schools in New Mexico. Almost everything is about race, queerness, or derived from Howard Zinn, critical historian revisionist. This isn't education. It's critical theory programming. And then the Federalist wrote an article and it said Teachers Union President uh, Weingartner uh, claims that critical race theory isn't taught after her organization bragged about teaching it. You know, you know a little bit more about Weingartner than Uh, than most of us.
1: Yeah, but, well, Weingartner, I mean, she has been an activist for years, and we have to remember the whole premise of teacher unions to begin with is they were originally created to protect the rights of teachers. What has happened and has gotten twisted is they've become platforms for a leftist agenda, and now they've strayed from their original mission. Teachers and administrators and other people that are kind of being forced to join unions and pay, union dues or etc. Are, um are being um, co-opted with their agenda and their ideology, but like the, the whole endorsement of the critical race theory, they're not even supposed to be involved in this. This is pedagogy. This has nothing to do with their purpose. And, and again, you know, we have an example of them saying one thing and then actually doing another and not knowing what they're doing.
3: Uh, I want to play a clip for Cash Patel before yeah. we head out of sure. Dodge. This is related to January 6th. Uh, I, lo- I love Kash Patel. He's such a smart dude. Um, but he was, uh, let's just take a listen.
2: Why on January 6th, when it has now publicly been admitted by the FBI that they had information that there could possibly be a situation like that at the United States Capitol, why weren't the cabinet secretaries under President Trump briefed? Why didn't the FBI put 1,000 uniformed agents around the U.S. Capitol? Where was the fence, right? These are the lackings that led to January 6th. These are the mistakes, intentional or otherwise, that led to January 6th. And if you look at the video from January 6th, and they still won't release all of it, an entire side of the Capitol, I believe it's the south side, was totally unmanned. No police officers whatsoever, and that's where the crowd first came in through. And you have to ask yourself, what happened on January 6th? Now, look, I was chief of staff of the Department of Defense on the 6th. We had offered the Capitol Police and Mayor Bowser of Washington, D.C., thousands of National Guardsmen and women, two days before January 6th, and they turned us down. So it could have been prevented. So could it, could it have been just not, not a lot of information sharing happening? I think it was... Not enough information sharing happening, and I think what people now are starting to realize is that the protecting of the U.S. Capitol on a day like January 6th is a law enforcement function. You cannot have the United States military descend and occupy the area around the United States Capitol. It's literally illegal. But they can assist their law enforcement partners through a request from the mayor or the governor or the Capitol Police, and that's what should have happened, and that's what we told them.
3: So that's just more proof right there yeah. uh, that uh, Muriel Bowser, the mayor of D.C., uh, Nancy Pelosi, the head of the Capitol Police, denied, uh, rejected Trump's offer for National Guardsmen to help. Remember, also reported that the gates uh, were set up backwards. Mm-hmm. We thought it was because of the uh, they were going to lock them in or climb the gates. They were put in backwards for one for some reason. This was a setup. By Nancy Pelosi, and cooperated with by the mayor of D.C. Uh, the, they also haven't explained the January fifth pipe bombs that were planted, mm-hmm. and they haven't uh, really. They haven't officially told us. We know it's Lieutenant Bird, um, but uh, the, the the black Secret Service agent that was working with the Capitol Police that shot Ashley Babbitt and killed her, but and she was unarmed. But you know the idea there is. They haven't announced who shot Ashley Babbitt. They haven't announced who put the pipe bombs where they were the day before Trump's speech. How in the world they're getting away with locking up these people and throwing away the key. Uh, Two standards of justice is what we have going on here. And these same monsters are the same people that want you to take a vaccine jab into your arm. Uh, I'm just not trustworthy. I don't trust my government right now. I don't trust the people that are pushing these things on me. Just stay out of my life and stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of theirs. And that's how I want to put it there. But that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, there's never enough time. But I want to thank Leonora for spending some time with us today. Always it's been a pleasure. Great to have you here on Fridays. And with that my name's Scott Adams.
1: My name is Leonardo Corvetta.
3: And we'll see you all next time on the radio. Be sure to check out buglecall.org, magapack.org, and scottadamshow.com for the latest podcast.